economics is the study of human choice in the world we live. Faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. By investigating faith in economics, we can learn how they lead to human flourishing. This is the Faith in Economics podcast, a presentation of the Gortney Institute at Ottawa University. Welcome to our show today. I'm Cole McRae, producer and undergraduate scholar for the Gordney Institute. With us, we have Dr. Russ McCullough, the founder of the Gordney Institute and Wayne Angel Chair of Economics, Dr. Justin Clark, the Menard Family Professor of Philosophy and Ethics, and Dr. Peter Jacobson, the Gordney Professor of Economic Education and Research. Finally, we have with us Kevin Ugarteche, producer and graduate assistant for the Gordney Institute. All right, so the topic of today is Argentina. So this should be interesting. Hopefully the uh, transition to new power is smooth, but that can always be a little questionable. So Argentina has been kind of a mess lately. I mean, off and on, they've been a mess over the years with policymakers taking control, new presidents that are a little bit more on the, let's just say, socialist-leaning uh, style of uh, getting elected through handouts. And uh, it's it's kind of a sad story throughout a lot of South America and Central America. Um, the, the populist regimes of uh, not really being uh, fiscally sound and monetarily sound, uh, they tend to print off money to get elected, to buy stuff, to give people food and other freebies. And ultimately, it leads to inflation, like Argentina's experiencing right now, 143%. So that is right in the old hyperinflation range. Um, so imagine, listeners, uh, we're talking 10%, over 10% per month. Um, so we thought we had it bad in the United States when it was 10% per year, and it's starting to come down. Uh, but stable money is a uh, a chink in the armor of people being able to transact uh, efficiently and productively um, when you can't bank on a stable currency. So one of the things uh, that gets measured like with the Economic Freedom Index is the uh, sound money criteria. And part of that is how is the government handling it? Um, so Argentina has been kind of a mess and a new leader comes in and uh, Justin, you want to lead us through some of the elements of what this new leadership uh, proposes for Argentina? All right. So Javier Malay won the Argentinian presidency, uh, and I and he won it with, I believe, 55% of the vote, which I think is interesting and maybe something that we can come back to. But um, Malay was seen as kind of an outsider candidate, and um, he is a like avowed libertarian. Um, in fact, a kind of avowed anarcho-capitalist and ran um, on the principles of libertarianism and anarcho-capitalism. So as far as I know, he's like one of the first um, actual heads of state in a modern uh, industrialized economy um, who is explicitly libertarian. And I think he's been uh, very successful at... Um, uh, getting press because if you watch some interviews with him, you'll see that he's very volatile in the way yeah. that he speaks. And um, he kind of has a kind of signature look. He looks kind of like a cross between Wolverine and um, <laughs> a really unkempt version of Wolverine. Uh, interestingly, Malay 
trained as an economist. He has a master's degree in economics. Is that right? Um, wow. He's published. Great. Yeah. So uh, I guess unkemptness is a quality of economists that we can expect. <laughs> um, uh, he's written, uh, I think, you know, a number of academic articles. I think it's around 30, but he's taught macro and microeconomics. And it's, uh, I believe he got into economics uh, because as a child, he was living in um, Argentina and in Buenos Aires and witnessing uh, you know, very high inflation. And he thought, well, why is this a law of supply and demand working here if um, you know prices are going up, but people still want more and more of something? What's going on? Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm very happy that Malay won the election. And um, I think it will be interesting to see what he does as a result. He's had some, you know, the policies he said he's going to enact, uh, some of them are straight out of the like armed libertarians crazy book where he says like, I'm going to allow the free sale of firearms and the free sale of human organs. Um, <laughs> really? And yeah, and uh, he is on the, uh, you know, libertarians kind of divide over this issue, but he's on the pro-life side of the abortion debate oh. uh, because he considers abortion a violation of the right to life. Um, and so he's talked about at least putting the permissive um, abortion laws in Argentina up to a national vote. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, so I'm I'm pleased as punch that Malay won, and I think it will be very interesting to see what happens. And I'm uh, wondering what you guys think. But I, sometimes I think that what what's really interesting here is like. You know, and I hate it when other people do this, but I'm going to do it like the story of the story and how this is being <laughs> uh, portrayed in in the press, too. So, um, yeah, I, I, think there's, I think there's just right. There's like a million different ways you can look at this. First off, Malay is tricky because like he so, someone said the other day that I think it's basically true that like there were people were arguing about whether or not Malay is like MAGA or whether or not he's like part of like this uh you know revolution towards like a different politics and someone was pointing out all the policy differences and one of their responses this was just on Twitter someone said yeah but you're missing the whole point MAGA's vibes it's not policy uh which I think is like basically true that like vibes is what determines uh whether or not something counts as MAGA now whatever you know uh the vibes are but he's an interesting character because like I, if you just go to his wikipedia i pulled it up uh it's here it says that he is described as uh and there's a whole list but i'm going to read you two of them ultra conservative and ultra liberal <laughs> now i don't know about you <laughs> but to me when i hear the words ultra conservative and ultra liberal usually those things are uh, different than each other uh, so it'd be weird if it was ultra of both of them and there's like a way that like in your head you can like make that connection but uh, just as like a, a brief point, like he's very mystifying. Uh, like the the press is very actively like giving him about five hundred different labels. Mm -hmm. Some are true. Uh, I would describe him as right wing. Uh, at least in Argentina, he's right wing because uh, you watch his speeches, and unless the translations are uh, wrong, his usual pejorative cocktail includes leftist like every other word <laughs> uh, and variations of it. Which again, I, I'm not going to get into. So he strikes me as self proclaimed right wing. Uh, he's certainly an anarcho-capitalist by his own uh, claim. Whether or not you want to say that's compatible with being a libertarian, people have that debate, I don't know. Uh, but he calls himself a libertarian as well. Uh, so yeah, he, he's like very much like what a U.S. libertarian uh, would call themselves. Now, uh, another controversy is that 
uh, he's a populist. And very clearly, there, there's no like bones about this. And so uh, one of the narratives here that has been going on is, you know, for years, both inside libertarian circles and outside libertarian circles, there's been this question of like, could a populist ever win? Like, you know, is the better approach to be a gradualist where like we, you know, have a DC think tank that gets into the policy circles and we slowly convince all the people in Washington, DC to become libertarians? Uh, or do we go in with a sledgehammer and start just like smashing things down uh, and telling people they're going to go to jail and calling them scumbags? You know, all these things, things that Malay has done. Uh, and people say, well, you'll never win like that. Uh, but then he did, right? Uh, now he did in a particular context, the whole country is falling apart economically. And so maybe certain conditions are necessary for that strategy to work. Yeah. But he's sort of a repudiation of the idea that you have to be sort of like this get along person in politics to win and that you have to be part of the system and you have to appeal to the elites. Malay is proof that uh, a populist can come in and win. That doesn't mean he can succeed. I, the biggest question in my mind is whether or not he is going to be able to do the things he wants to do. So I know already uh, the transition period has been shortened by the current administration to 19 days since the election has happened, which I guess is an unprecedented, an unprecedented short amount of time. Uh, and you also have people talking about like certain members of the current government fleeing the country uh, right now, which is probably uh, some evidence of the fact that they think maybe they engage in some wrongdoing that will right. be uncovered. So I think there's a certain degree of sabotage that will happen up front here. Uh, and will probably continue to happen. My biggest curiosity, and I'll pass it back to everyone else's, there's a great video of him talking about all the departments he's going to remove. He's got like a, a board with like a foam board with a bunch of departments and he's ripping them off and he's saying, Department of Education, gone. You know, Department <laughs> of Gender Studies, gone. And he's like, you know, <laughs> talking about this. It's it's a great little video. Uh, I'm curious if he's going to get rid of any of them. To me, that's where it all, what it all comes down to is, is he going to destroy these departments that he says he's going to destroy or isn't he? And if he isn't, I see this guy as like Ronald Reagan, Margaret Thatcher 2.0. One of the things that I think is interesting is, you know, you mentioned that, you know, his uh, political opposition might be fleeing. And I think that's kind of the spin that you're getting right now is that this um, extremist was elected. And it, it is possible that uh, maybe Malay will get in there and jail his political rivals or shut down independent media or use like the state security agency to go after people that refuse to fall in line. Um, and if he does that, then I will, you know, I'll be the first to say he's exactly as bad as Zelensky, um, who has done all those things. Uh, but if he doesn't, then uh, I'm interested to see what happens next. No, I so I have a little bit of a disagreement, though. I think it's just like in form that I I, I don't think Malay would be wrong to put some of these people in jail uh, if they've committed. We know that the government is corrupt. A big part of the problem in Argentina is a lot of the wealth is like circulated through this like racketeering thing that goes through the federal bureaucracy. So insofar as he's just putting people in jail for basically stealing taxpayer money, I'm OK with that. Uh, yeah, and it's holding up. The rule of law there that yeah. really make a statement. Yeah, but but you're you're right if he's like <laughs> shutting down press and all these other things that uh typically go along with like uh like counter control of government stuff, then that'll be a problem to me. But my my litmus test is whether or not he's gonna shut down the departments. Because by the way, I think if he doesn't, he's gonna fail. So he may be the first populist in recent history in Argentina, but he's not the most recent populist. Uh, you know, Trump in 2016 ran a very populist campaign. Similar, though, not as harsh rhetoric as Malay, which is interesting. Uh, we heard Trump describe uh, his opponents as vermin. 
uh, the other day and people got really like, oh, this is fascist rhetoric. Malay all the time is spewing these things about his opponents uh, in similar language. And I haven't seen any concern about that, which is interesting. Uh, but the what's characterized, in my opinion, uh, populist leadership over the last five, 10 years is that it's been a failure. Uh, that is, they get in and they don't do any of the things they say they're going to do. You can look at uh, Trump, you can look at Bolsonaro, all these guys have gotten in and basically been completely unsuccessful and even their goals, let alone like making the country a better place. Uh, and that's what I am going to be curious about is whether or not Malay comes in and he makes real changes right away. Or if he comes in and makes Reince Priebus, uh, you know, his main guy in the White House, right, uh, to use a Trump illusion. So so let's get some definitions on. We've been throwing out a lot now. Anarcho-capitalist, libertarian, uh, populist, and and just re in real simple terms, I guess I want to start with libertarian uh, because that can be a dangerous one. And there's even uh, disagreements about what that means among libertarians. But in general, I think it just means... Uh, a, a belief in a real limited government is the way to move forward, that we're going to have people make decisions uh, rather than uh, governments. And so limited government spending, uh, limited uh, programs like the Department of Education, whatever, uh, other things is to kind of turn to people to run things. I, do you think that's a fair characterization, Peter, for starters? So I would say that that is a good characterization of people who describe themselves as libertarian vaguely. But I would say Malay is even what I would call a more specific kind of libertarian. That is within this group of people who are for a limited government, there are people who call themselves libertarians who believe in something called the non-aggression principle. And the idea behind the non-aggression principle is the sum total of uh, morality as far as it's enforceable through threat of violence or law comes down to, am I aggressing against someone or not? And libertarians see the state as a form of aggression and therefore morally illegitimate when it uh, engages in this sort of uh, discrimination. And Malay falls into that category of libertarian. He is not just limited government. Uh, he's a pretty firm believer in the non-aggression principle, uh, which is why he considers himself, by the way, to be an anarchist. So. Uh, you know, you could say limited government, you know, a lot of people support that classic liberals, libertarians, uh, you know, US conservatives sometimes say they're limited government. Yeah. Within that sphere of limited government, there is a group of people who support the non aggression principle, those people are what I would call like narrow libertarians. And then even inside that, you have a really extreme view that is like all states is aggression, and I'm opposed to unsolicited aggression. Therefore, I'm an anarcho-capitalist. Yeah, uh, I was hoping you were going to bring us down to the anarcho-capitalist because I think Peter had brought that up or uh, Justin brought that up. Uh, and then just just the populist idea because you you can be a populist and be on the left or the yeah. right or anything, right? So the the idea of a populist is somebody who's really captured the hearts of the people in a sense, the voters. Justin can give his own spin on it. My view of populism is populism says that uh, things are bad and the reason they're bad is because there are people in charge who are bad just screwing over the people. So if you had to explain populism in a sentence, I would say populism is elites are screwing over the people and it's an appeal to that rhetoric. Uh, and it's just a strategy, Russ, you're right. A lot of times people try to make uh, populism out to be a right-wing thing. It isn't. You've had left-wing populists in history. And left-wing populists, I think, has been down in South America in general. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah exactly. so, like a lot of communist and socialist revolutions right. are populist revolutions. Right. They're not uh, elite-run revolutions or anything like that. Bernie Sanders, uh, when he was running in 2016, was kind of taking a populist angle, or pre-2016, yeah. I guess. Yeah. So, Justin, uh, did you have any other thoughts? 
No, I do like the idea of populism as inherently anti-elite. Um, that is what I think uh, populism is. And then, you know, you're right that both sides um, can employ it and they, they can both employ it because they change their definition, uh, you know, on who they paint the target of elitism on, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, one thing Peter said earlier, which I thought was interesting, is that, you know, this debate within libertarians about whether or not we should just be, you know, wonkish, uh, you know, I'll just come out and say, you know, Cato Institute write papers on, you know, reducing tax policy and try to convince the people who work at State Department um, that libertarian, you know, slightly reducing the government by 1% a year, whatever will work, or this kind of populist angle where we say, hey, these people are screwing everybody over, um, grab your pitchforks, let's go do this, um, whether that could win. And uh, Peter's right, I think that um, Malay and uh, you know, the other populist, ex populist examples are um, good examples that, you know, populism can win. And sometimes when I hear libertarians say things like, well, I, I just don't think, pop uh, you know, a populist could win. And I think like, what kind of system do you think we operate in? Populism is just another name that's usually given to for democracy by people who don't like what uh, <laughs> right. whatever the rabble is yelling about. Um, yeah. I don't know how you could win uh, you could make great changes if you weren't um, using a populist angle in a system that's even at least, you know, even in name democratic. Yeah. And Peter mentioned a couple of populist uh, leaders that kind of failed, but I think there's one that succeeded and succeeded really well, which who is uh, Bekele um, in El Salvador, right? Oh, sure. Mm. Um, and uh, one of the things that happened was when he got elected, there was a bunch of this similar press about him, that he is this crazy person who wants to do things, you know, that are that uh, are going to destroy the economy. And now, uh, you know, his success has been uh, meteoric inside El Salvador. And what you hear about him on the uh, corp from the corporate press right now is pretty much nothing. Um, you don't hear anything about him. And I think that's because he's been so successful. Um, so one of the things that I would say is a good metric for um, whether or not um, Malay is somebody I like is whether or not the current corporate press freaks out about him and whether or not he succeeds, I'll take it as a metric, is whether or not they start shutting up about him. Because um, that will mean, I think, that uh, he's actually succeeding and they don't want to report on it. All right. Well, that looks like a good spot for a break. When we come back, we'll start to piece out a few more things. I mean, I was uh, disappointed if the focus is on guns and organs. And let's get down to what are some other uh, areas that uh, he looks to overturn. We'll be back in just a bit. Otto University has an exciting new major, PPE, which stands for Philosophy, Politics, and Economics. Each of these fields is interesting in their own right, but they intersect in ways that are important to understand, both individually and for your community. If you find philosophy fascinating, but want to make sure that your study of the subject is practical, if you enjoy economic analysis, but want to see how economic laws interact with moral principles, if you are interested in politics, but want to explore how economic and ethical realities constrain our political choices, you should consider the PPE program at Ottawa University. This spring, Ottawa University is organizing a PPE League competition of politics, philosophy, and economics. Students in this competition will compete, leveraging the ideas of philosophy, politics, and economics in various events. 
If you're a professor or an advisor of college students and you're interested in your school competing in PPE League this spring, contact Peter, Justin, or Russ today. By 2030, the Gortney Institute will be known for its alumni, supporters, and participants who incorporate economic understanding with their faith in their careers, vocations, communities, and personal lives. We have some great programming going on for high school students. We have an online microeconomics class. Yes, you can earn college credit for $200 by taking an online class. It's affordable, flexible, layered with support. Our new online micro is optimized for you. If you'd like to consider some events for your high school students or that class, please contact Justin, Peter, or Russ today. Okay, we're back, and uh, I left uh, the cliffhanger of guns and organs. I just, uh, when we look at libertarian-type concepts, uh, those are interesting, and uh, but scary, right? And so I think whoever, if the media is bringing up that as the number one thing, it's probably to try to discredit him to some degree and to add to the to the craziness factor. And so um, I hope uh, he's got some good policies and and that's what uh, the type of austerity measures that really a place like Argentina needs, uh, both on the monetary side as well as uh, the government spending side. So um, we learned that he's looking to dollarize, um, which is a technique that other countries have done successfully. And uh, there's different ways to do it though. So um, uh, dollarization is basically to start using the US dollar as your currency and you can uh, have a one-to-one -one basis or a fixed rate of exchange between uh, the Argentine peso and the dollar, um, which might seem, oh, that's easy enough, but it, if the government is corrupt or not doing what they say, or if they have enough discretion, they can still print off Argentine pesos, and then everybody thinks it's dollar for dollar, but then all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of extra um, pesos floating around and so it'll end up distorting it and and it ultimately can collapse and so another technique that uh, places like i believe el salvador and some other uh, places have used is called a hard peg and they use a currency board so they actually have outsiders from other nations be an external auditor of what the government's doing with the money supply and and that's proven to be very useful and uh and using the u.s dollar for that and so their inflation rate ends up riding right along with what the Americans are doing. So, uh, which isn't <laughs> probably a little less credible today than it was four years ago when our government got a little irresponsible, in my opinion, uh, with the money supply and created the inflation that we've had the last few years. So um, I'm sure that would make um, countries kind of at least think twice about uh, turning to the dollar, but since the dollar is the global currency and, and a lot of uh, financial markets are denominated in dollars, it kind of makes sense to do that. Uh, Peter, you got anything to add on to that? Yeah, so monetary policy-wise, uh, Russ covered it pretty well. Uh, fiscal policy, he wants to balance the budget, uh, cut spending. Uh, out of the 18 uh, federal bureaucracies, he wants to cut that number down to eight, is what I'm reading here. <laughs> Nice. Uh, getting rid of things like Department of Health, Department of Education, or Ministry, I guess, uh, Ministry of Social Development. Uh, and so pretty extensive deregulation uh, is also on his list. He wants to uh, cut uh, universal welfare benefits from people who immigrate to Argentina. And so he's, uh, I don't think he wants to cut uh, completely uh, the healthcare benefits that people have. Maybe he would want to do that, but he's only talked about uh, making sure that people who immigrate there don't have access to those benefits. And so, yeah, he pretty he's pretty significantly in rhetoric, 
uh, wanting to uh, impose the typical claimed rhetoric of the right, which is uh, cutting taxes, lowering spending, uh, sound money. I hope that he follows through with the cutting spending because it's always the lowering taxes yes. that happens and never the cutting spending. It's always the spending it should be hit first. Um, also, the you know, if you think, oh, getting rid of the Department of Health, and you might be wondering why he doesn't care about, you know, healthy homes and healthy lives. And the reason is that some of these bureaucracies have health outcomes that are opposite of what it would be otherwise without that restriction. And so um, I, you know, I haven't looked at any research from Argentina, but I just want to throw that out there that just because you're throwing out the Department of Health doesn't mean that you don't care about healthy homes when they have uh, and healthy people when there's evidence to the contrary in other um, countries where people have better health outcomes without this huge government sector uh, of Department of Health, just for example. Justin? So uh, if anyone's eyes glazed over when we were talking about dollarization, um, <laughs> and uh, despite Russ saying that, you know, guns and organs are scary, uh, <laughs> let's talk about the actual way that you win an ele a populist election. So let's read a, Malay a couple of Malay quotes, and there's going to be a curse word in here. Uh, this is what Malay says. Um, I didn't come here to lead lambs, but to awaken lions. Uh, I'm here to kick these criminals out. Uh, the first thing I want, I'm going to say to this shitty, silly, parasitic, and useless political caste is what I am not going to do. I will never go against private property. I will never go against freedom. I will never raise a tax. I will never create new taxes. And then when he uh, got his last job as a deputy, he fulfilled one of his campaign promises. He raffled his salary to a random person every month, and he would <laughs> return this money to the citizens. And um, he, he claimed that he was doing this because he didn't even want to touch this dirty money. And he said, the state is a criminal organization that finances itself through taxes levied on people by force. We are returning the money that the political caste stole. Wow. He's got my vote. If, can he run into the United States? Is that allowed? Well, so so no, but uh, <laughs> yeah, the kind of another way that we can conceptualize this too, again, within libertarianism, especially in the 90s, uh, both Justin and I have alluded to this debate about kind of the pragmatists versus the mm -hmm. idealists. And, uh, you know, one of the great pieces in this debate was one by Murray Rothbard. Uh, and it was really in response to, I think, David Friedman. I could be wrong. J Justin, you can correct me if I'm wrong. But uh, the piece is titled, I, I believe, Do You Hate the States? And so Rothbard, in that, in that piece, gives a, his criteria for what it means to be someone who uh, is worth supporting. And he's making the point that, uh, I'm not a fan of just supporting libertarians because like a lot of libertarians end up failing. And my criteria instead, regardless of political party is like, it does the person I'm choosing to elect hate the state or not. I think out of all the people elected in all the countries that I've seen, Malay seems to have the most hatred for the state itself, not like a particular state, not a particular group in the state, mm. but Malay, at least on the surface, seems allergic to the structure. Uh, this idea of using uh, the government created within a nation uh, to have some sort of like political class that's supported and in charge. Uh, and that's maybe what I would call the state. 
And so we, we see that, you know, and the weirdly about him, so he's got kind of two sides. The one side is like, he seems to be like this libertarian edgelord guy, uh, which we haven't had in government yet. But he also seems to be like really well read, which is interesting. He seems to have the scholarly. And I'm not just talking about, again, libertarian scholars. So Malay is famous for his dogs. Uh, and he's got like yeah. a lot of like weird relationships with his dogs, I but uh, the he he has like dogs with like different names. So he has a dog Milton after Milton Friedman. That one's not super interesting to me because like a lot of people know Milton Friedman, but he has a dog Murray after Murray Rothbard. And then what was the most surprising to me is he has one dog named Robert and another dog named Lucas after the economist Robert <laughs> Lucas. And what surprised me about that is I sort of was expecting Malay to be like this guy who's like read economics on the internet mm -hmm. uh and it's not that that's a bad thing but like my my kind of impression is like he had read some libertarian like websites and gotten his stuff from there but robert lucas is an inside baseball guy yeah. uh he's he's not uh I, I wouldn't call him like a political libertarian as like his primary identity no. he might be more uh limited governments yeah, but theory, it, his his main contribution was the lucas critique which basically just said that central planners don't know as much as they think they do and if they claim to know more than the people uh they're excluding learning from their model that's the simplest way i can put it uh but that was kind of surprising to me because what i think it implies is like malay actually is going to be able to if he has the political will to do it and he has the ability to overcome the obstacles in front of him has sort of a surgical approach to this like i think that he has read the things that he actually needs to have read he's not just a, a pure like idea reactionary uh he's actually someone like who he has the ideas he has the rhetoric uh and i think he's a true believer too it's a very rare combination i don't think it's one that we have seen in recent history uh you didn't mention that his dogs were cloned uh, I, I heard that like one of his dogs was cloned. <laughs> okay, yeah, I, I thought it. all five were cloned is what I heard on, on something. But uh, yeah, cloning, I heard uh, the polo groups. I don't know if it was Argentina or not, but somebody had cloned their polo. And he's like a big champion polo player. And he's cloned his horses. Like he took his best polo horse and cloned it because cloning is a little more uh, liberal down there is what it sounds like. So well, I couldn't help but think of legal plunder when when uh, you were running down the list, uh, Justin, of how uh, what Bastiat brought up in the late or the early 1856 um, about how when crooks or let's just say less desirable people are able to use the government uh, in a legal way and and manipulate it. And so it's it's the worst kind of stealing, the worst kind of crime we could have. And I think Sounds like Malay is calling people out on that. Um, so, do you, what do you think, Justin? On uh, is this guy going to be able to pull it off? I want to go back to something Peter said because I think it's worth repeating. Um, is that Malay can seem outlandish? I'm a big fan of the idea that if you want to break the rules, you really have to learn how to. Uh, you need to know the rules before you break them mm -hmm. and being a kind of yeah. like pure reactionary or reactionary for like the sake of reaction. Um, like those are very dangerous people to get behind. Yeah. Um, usually because they don't have a positive vision. It's only negative. It's just destructive. Um, but at the same time, we all know that, you know, this kind of reactionary rhetoric um, is very effective. And so I think that to be the kind of, uh, reactionary that succeeds, you need to do the kind of thing that I hope at least Malay is doing. And it seems like he actually does know, as Peter's put it, you know, like the inside baseball of um, of libertarianism and um, 
and also how the Argentinian state currently works, right? Um, and knowing both those things while at the same time um, being like odiously opposed to it. Um, I think that's for me like a prerequisite to being able to do this well. So, um, you know, uh, my fingers are crossed. I, I really hope he does um, really well. It's, it would be hard to think that, um, I mean, I think there's some really low hanging fruit. So the opportunities for success, I, I think, are there for him. Um, and uh, yeah. I think that like South America is a great place for these natural experiments to get run. Uh, yeah. Um, I think, I think it would be valuable too, to talk about like some apprehensions too that we have. Yeah. So I, I have like a few major apprehensions. The, the first being uh, that I think the number one obstacle for him is overcoming the corruption that's already in the government. Mm -hmm. The way that I think about this always is like they're, in any government structure, like what is occurs in most of South America is like there have been set up like really lucrative ways for people to take taxpayer money. And when you threaten those ways, uh, people are going to be willing to spend up to what they earn from those ways in order to stop you. Uh, so if there's millions of dollars of plundering going on from the taxpayers in Argentina, that means there's millions of dollars of will to stop Malay from succeeding. That's one. Uh, two is... I think that the U.S. government, uh, which more or less runs most of the world, uh, is not going to be particularly happy if there are a lot of uh, what look like to be alternative ideologies succeeding in the world. Ooh, that's interesting. Uh, so I and the United States did this with uh, communism and socialism in the, the 70s and 80s. Now, I, I'm not a fan of communism or socialism, but the U.S. was so worried about their success that uh, they intentionally undermined a lot of countries uh, in order to stop that. In fact, you know, uh, all the Middle Eastern troubles we see today were attempts to stop socialism and communism uh, coming out of the Soviet Union to the Middle East, uh, more or less. And so I, I am worried about if Mo the more successful Malay is, the more of a target there is on him from, uh, we would call them the global elites. Maybe he beats the Argentinian elite, but he can't beat the global elite. I don't know. My third apprehension is there are some issues on which I'm a little worried about Malay on. Malay seems a little bit more interventionist than uh, most like libertarians in the in the United States. He was pretty hawkish on the Ukraine thing, as far as I'm aware. Now, I don't know if that was just rhetoric or if he would be a uh, support of spending. Like, that's a different question. I don't know, because sure. I, I don't have someone a problem with someone rhetorically saying they want democracy in Ukraine. Of course, I want that, too. Uh, but I would be bothered by someone who says we should send Argentinian money over there. Uh, so I'm curious where he stands on that. He's pretty hawkish on the Israel issue as well. Uh, again, I have similar similar feelings about that that I have about uh, Ukraine there. But that's like the one issue point at which I have like mild amount of concern about him. But it's almost an understandable place to be uh, because if you're a capitalist in South America, maybe what you see is that like, well, insofar as like we're escaping the left, it's because the United States has like helped us in a certain way in the past or something like that. Whether or not that judgment's true, I wouldn't be surprised if someone who is a capitalist in South America feels like uh, it is he's been able to succeed because of the ideas out of the United States. So it's almost like there is like a support for that sort of thing. I don't know. Justin, did you have thoughts on the foreign intervention stuff? I don't know if you've heard it all about it. I don't know enough about it to have any thought other than, um, you know, um, interventionism worries me. But as somebody who is as fiscally concerned as Malay is, and 
um, that there are fiscal limits to what you can support um, in terms of like foreign intervention that I think provide a natural break. Um, so I would, um, and I would hope, and I, I would guarantee that he knows that like, you know, a dollar spent on Ukraine is not a dollar that you can spend to help the Argentinian people. Yeah. And, and to some extent, this issue matters less in any country besides the U.S., right? Because, yeah. It's like we are the major funders, right? And so like every no one expects Argentina to be the major funder. And so that that sort of like being bad on that issue is not as important there. Yeah. I'm not worried if like he is supporting us funding. I'm more worried about us funding things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> one thing that I thought was really interesting uh, was the reaction, not just from the press, but also um, like... Um, Vivek had an interesting response to um, Malay winning. Vivek Ramaswamy, who's oh. uh, running for uh, Republican presidential, running for the Repo Republican presidential nomination, and Vivek uh, said, "You know, congratulations to Malay." I should bring up the uh, tweet exactly, but I can't remember. But he talked about how Argentina had runaway inflation, and he said, "You know, you're going to have a really." You have some work cut out for you, like may the spirit of Mises and Hayek be with you. Really? Um, yeah, which um that's why I like Vivek. Okay. I didn't even know he had a connection that way. It's not just that I like Malay. I, I mean I do like Malay, but I also kind of like what Malay brings out in other in other people. Um yeah. But the but the flip side to that is it's much more dangerous if he fails for whatever reason, whether within his control or outside of his control, right? Uh, yeah. That he becomes the case study of, see, these ideas don't work, uh, regardless of if it's his fault if they don't work. Yeah, and so, um, maybe. Uh, cer though. Certainly, certainly uh, because we, we did see that. Like Hayek's reputation is still uh, besmirched by Pinochet, even though he had nothing to do with that. So yeah, free market economics for years to come will deal with issues yeah. if, if Malay yeah. fails here. Yeah. Well, it is an interesting case. We'll look forward to seeing how how it uh, turns out. And uh, I know I'm a fan just from listening to you guys. I'm glad you had researched. I just heard a few things here and there. So uh, sounds sounds good and good for South America if it does lead the way. And I I, just, I wouldn't want to say if. I mean, it, it probably, in my beliefs anyway, it would just be if it gets distorted or if something happens externally that it wouldn't work. I mean, we've got lots of evidence throughout the world that these market-based principles work. Mm -hmm. um, so um, I know it's going to work if it doesn't get um, damaged and distorted by uh, those other people that are in power or the other people around the world um, in some way, shape, or form. So yeah, I think it's good. Uh, Guatemala also, uh, we might do a separate podcast, has a new leader that's an anti-corruption leader that uh, probably has some Austrian school type thoughts with it too. So uh, maybe if we get a couple examples of things changing down there, we can get more countries jumping on board. So, all right. Well, this has been a production of the Gortney Institute here at Ottawa University. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Five-star rating helps other people find us. And so please do that if you if you feel so moved. Otherwise, pass this along to your friends and family uh, through email or other ways. Other than that, be fruitful and multiply. Thanks.